0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and to being in right relationship with one another and with ourselves and with the planet. We come from a heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so when we greet one another on a Sunday morning or in the comments as we do now during this pandemic time, it's the divine spark in us that is greeting the divine spark that it recognizes in the other.
1: Join me in saying our chalice lighting. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today comes to us from English-born author Neil Gaiman. Gaiman has written short fiction, novels, comic books, graphic novels, non-fiction, audio theater, and films. This comes to us from his ninth book in the Sandman series called The Kindly Ones. I've been making a list of the things they don't teach you at school. They don't teach you how to love somebody. They don't teach you how to be famous. They don't teach you how to be rich or how to be poor. They don't teach you how to walk away from someone you don't love any longer. They don't teach you how to know what's going on in someone else's mind. They don't teach you what to say to someone who's dying. They don't teach you anything worth knowing.
0: This congregation has written a mission statement for itself. And we wrote it on the wall of our sanctuary and we say it together every Sunday. Let us say it together now. Together we nourish souls, transform lives and do justice to build the beloved community. Our board has been hosting beloved community conversations. And as a part of the invitation to these conversations, each of the members of that board team have recorded a message about why anti-racism work and beloved community work is important to them. This Sunday, we're hearing from Nason Lawrence. Having lived in this country for more than
2: 20 years now, I've noticed that each one of us has a unique racial experience and story to share. This diversity in perspective and experience is even more relevant and important in the current racial and cultural climate. The events of last summer following the murder of George Floyd has resulted in a large-scale introspection of our collective racial biases Systemic and otherwise. My racial journey in this country began more than 20 years ago when I immigrated from India to pursue higher education. Soon after 9 11, I remember some high school kids hurled eggs at me as they mistook my heritage to be Middle Eastern. I recall seething and gnashing my teeth in anger at the apparent racism. Later in life, when I lived in Southern Virginia, I scoffed at the support treatment I received from waitstaff and bartenders, especially when I was in the company of my Caucasian wife. I attributed those events as being part and parcel of the Southern experience. Much later in life, I would recognize the privileged position I hold. Despite those one off incidents and mishaps, I enjoyed the best opportunities and experiences in my adopted home be it higher education at a prestigious state school or opportunities to work in high-income jobs throughout my career. Only very recently have I started asking myself why that is the case. Despite my skin color, despite being an immigrant, despite talking with an accent, despite all the visible differences that make me stand out, how is it possible that I'm not subjected to the same racial biases as my fellow black and Latin American citizens? I am part of the South Asian community, and for the most part, the story of this community's journey in America is one of success. It does not take a lot of effort to understand who paved the way for these successes. That road leads right back to the civil rights movement and the series of moves that black leaders effected to successfully pass the Immigration Act of 1965. Those leaders literally endured batons to the heads and bodies so I can write my own story in this country. It is hard to ignore how little the South Asian community has given back or even recognized the sacrifices of those leaders. In the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, I have been reflecting on the South Asian community's contributions or lack thereof towards fighting an unjust system. I am acutely aware of inaction on my own part and uncomfortable with all the excuses I offer myself. I do find solace in the fact that I can rely on this community to talk more openly about anti-racism and learn from your perspectives. In that spirit, I would like to invite you to one of the beloved community conversations. Join me right after today's service or sign up for one of the scheduled weekday conversations to share your racial experience and perspectives on a related topic. I have two sets of questions for you this week. Number one, what is your racial experience story? how would you describe your reaction to the racial injustices that have surfaced in the past year how did it inform actions on your part my second question is more topical is cultural appropriation unavoidable in this era of globalization how much does it affect our fight against racism are there do's and don'ts of cultural appropriation From 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of man and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal.
0: And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing.
2: If I give away all that I have,
0: believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends.
2: Love never ends.
0: Let us now enter into a time of prayer and meditation together where we speak and listen to God as we understand God. Or where we listen to our inner wisdom or just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. Let us join together in prayer and meditation. Beloved divinity of many names. We lift up our sanctuary leaders and the sanctuary leaders from across the country who are fighting so hard for their freedom. May we understand more and more how to be good allies to them. May we understand more and more how to move toward a community of justice in love and in truth. We need help, and we're grateful to have one another. And now I invite you to light a candle of joy or sorrow or hope, remembrance, or dedication. was studying to be a minister at princeton seminary most ministers have to study for at least three years in order to become credentialed and at princeton they taught us how to approach uh, scripture uh, by learning the original language hebrew and then greek and by asking questions of the scripture you ask questions of the text in order to find out what its meaning might be Now, the rabbis say every text has 300,000 meanings, but they didn't teach us that at Princeton. And so, on this Valentine's Day, I want to talk about love. And one of the most famous passages or writings of any kind about love is in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in the 13th chapter. So, I'm going to ask the questions of this text One, who was the person who wrote it? Number two, what words did they use? Number three, who'd they write it to? And number four, what is the context in which this was written? Now, we're not going to get all those questions answered. But we can make a start. So, in Greek, there are four different words for love. Four different kinds of love, and the first one is dorge, which is affection, affectionate love, love that you would have for uh, your child, or love that you would have for your favorite animal companion, or love that you would have for a friend. It's a bond of empathy. I I'm comfortable with you. Uh, my love for you is natural. It's part of my instinct and that that kind of love is a great joy in a person's life story gay. then there's the love philia after which philadelphia is named which is a friend bond a friend who's almost like chosen family you have deep feelings for this friend their well-being is important to you you wouldn't be who you were without this friend It's interesting, C.S. Lewis is um, a Christian writer from the 50s and 60s. And he wrote a book called The Four Loves, which is about all these four words for love in Greek. And he said, unfortunately, the friendship bond has all but disappeared in our culture today. (laughs) And as a person who has several very, very dear friends, I... I feel for him because he was a British academic in the 50s so maybe he didn't have warm friendships and maybe he was in a family where they only hugged if you were going off to war or going to the hospital for a big surgery but I think about the cultures around the globe and how vibrant the friendships are in almost every culture and I feel for him that he didn't he felt that it had uh, faded away in the world it hasn't friendship is such a great joy in my life and i hope it is in yours the third kind of love is eros now that's what this valentine's day is supposed to be all about is eros love which is passion and sexual attraction and it's almost like a like a drug where you're madly in love with someone and you don't even want to go to sleep to dream dr seuss says you don't even want to go to sleep to dream because being awake the reality is better than the dream but that kind of love while fabulous and precious if you have a long-term relationship with somebody, all of the other loves are mixed up in there. You feel affection for the person. They feel familial to you. You feel friendship with the person and you feel erotic about the person. And so this, this holiday is for friends as well as it is just for lovers. And I hope you have many people for whom you feel all the different kinds of love. The final kind of love and the kind of love that Paul is talking about is a love represented by the Greek word agape, which is unconditional, divine, amazing love. Love. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Paul because he was the writer of this poem that I'm going to read to you and Sage and Reverend Chris read it to you before. Paul was originally from a town called Tarsus, which is in what is now Turkey. He was a tent maker. He was a Greek speaking Jew. He was a citizen of the Roman Empire. And so he traveled. He was originally a Pharisee, which is a very, very strict believer in the Jewish law. And he saw these new Christians, followers of Jesus, and he felt that they were not following the rules correctly. And so he would travel from synagogue to synagogue, calling out these Christians and telling them they needed to be better Jews. And if they could call themselves Christians after that, fine. But he thought they should be flogged. And so he handed out many floggings. The faith story says that one day on the road to Damascus, which is in Syria... He was struck by a huge light which blinded him for days. And in this light vision, he met the risen Christ and became converted to Christianity himself and became one of the most liberal in the whole argument about whether in order to be a good Christian, did you have to become Jewish first? Some of the disciples, most Uh, notably Peter, said, yeah, if you want to be a follower of Jesus and you're not a Jew already, you need to become a Jew. And then you could follow Jesus who is reforming Judaism. And Paul wanted to evangelize in places where most people weren't Jewish. He wanted to go up to Greece and he wanted to go to to Rome and he wanted to talk to the people all over the Mediterranean world about Christianity. And it was kind of off-putting to those people to tell them that they had to become Jewish first. Why? Because for the men, in order to become Jewish, you had to become circumcised, which for an adult male was not an appealing prospect. Some people did it, but Paul felt that It would be a lot easier to bring people the joy of his faith if they didn't have to first get circumcised. And so there was this party of circumcisers in the church, and then there was this party of no circumcisers in the church. And Paul was a member of that party, which eventually won out because Christianity started spreading all over the Roman Empire. And a lot of that was down to Paul's efforts. One of the towns where there were some congregations was a town named Corinth. And the churches in Corinth are the ones to whom the letter to the Corinthians was written. What was the cultural situation there? Well, Corinth sits on a very narrow strip of land between the Greek mainland and the Peloponnesus. And... Sitting there on the little isthmus, there's a canal there now, but it wasn't there till the late 1800s. Sitting on that narrow isthmus, they were a port city, a bustling port city. What happens in a port city is that the culture becomes vibrant with visitors from all over the place. And the culture becomes tolerant because... All the sailors come in for R&R. And so there have to be people who entertain sailors and people who provide food and drink for sailors and people who are uh, look the other way when things that would shock a mainlander happen in your town. It's a port city, so things are a little looser. The churches in Corinth were having problems because... There was such a mix in early Christianity, all of the cultural mores had been upended. It was said that in Christ, there is no enslaved person or free person. There's no male and female persons. And so the believers altogether were both enslaved people and free people, rich people, poor people, men and women. And this world had Very, very strict rules about how women should behave. But Paul was struggling with his cultural change, trying to be as open about women as Jesus had been. He had female disciples. He loved the women around him. And so the women had leadership roles in the early church. The women in Corinth were speaking in public, which was not something A respectable woman did. They were not covering their hair in public because they were like, hey, you know, the rules are different. I'm a Christian now. I don't have to cover my hair. But Paul was worried because he thought that other people looking at the Christians would think that it was just filled with floozies. Speaking in public with no hair covering and so he wanted the religion to spread and he was really worried about that also there was a very bad behavior on the part of the rich people there was a common meal that the uh churches had when they met and uh, the rich people would bring more food and then they would eat first and eat more food and the poor people were left with very little also there was sexual misbehavior because one of the strains in the early church was like oh we're saved by grace and and so the more we sin the more grace we can have isn't that right (laughs) and um, Paul was trying to go no that is not right you shouldn't sin more so that you can have more grace so he had a he had a bunch of problems that he was talking to the churches in corinth about and in the middle of all those problems here comes this beautiful poem about love agape love he said if i speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love i am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I possess to the poor. And if I give my body to be burned. So that I could boast. I don't have love. I I gain nothing. So in this. In this church. There were people who were kind of spiritually competitive i don 't know if you 've ever been in a church like that or not, where it 's more like I am more spiritual than you are because I can uh, love my enemies better than you or I can go through this terrible time and not even be bothered or i can I can live victoriously through this illness and uh, I can I can eat a lot better than you, and I can meditate a lot better than you, and I can exercise better than you do. And there's just, all, I mean, human beings, come on, we are like this. We are competitive with each other, and we give each other subtle and not-so-subtle signals that, you know, well, I gave away a lot more money than you did, or I have been um, hurt in the, in the pursuit of justice, much more than you have. And so I should be more of a star than you, or I prayed with somebody and they got healed. Has that ever happened to you? I don't know. That kind of stuff was happening. And Paul was saying, you can do all that stuff. You can be the greatest social justice warrior in the world. You could be the most amazing scholar in the world and speak six languages. You can do anything for anyone, but if you don't do it in love, It's just noise. What is love? Here comes the rest. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. See, I know just from that last sentence that he's not talking about me. My love fails sometimes, and people I know, the love fails. So he's talking about some kind of divine love. He's talking about the way I talk about God, as some of you know, is the river of love that runs through the universe. And we can either put our little toe in, or we can add to it with acts of love, or we can just swim in it, or let it flow through us, just depending on the day sometimes. And all of this love is patient and love is kind and it's not just that we behave in a patient way this is not the kind of love that you in my view that you decide to do one day like i'm going to i'm going to do love for like 2 hours now i'm going to not be proud i'm not going to be boastful i'm not going to be self-seeking i'm not going to be easily angered <laughs> this is the kind of love that you be you be this love when you can as much as you can and every spiritual practice the the goal of a spiritual practice is so that you can be this love more and more not easily angered not jealous or boastful patient and kind Here's the good news for me. I want us not only to read this passage and think, I want to be that love. But I want you to read this passage and think, the river of love running through the universe is this love, this kind of love. And you are held by this river of love. And you are washed clean in this river of love. And this river of love can flow through you. And this love, which many people call God, loves you. So you are loved by a love that is patient. Not judging and disappointed. You are loved by a love that is kind. Not punitive. You are loved by a love That is not self important. You must worship me and you must pray to me just exactly right or I won't listen to you. That's not love. That's not the kind of love that is divine love, in my view, and in the view of 1 Corinthians 13. You are loved by this amazing love that rejoices in the truth, that calls to all of us. Be this love. And be loved by this love. May it be so. This church is supported by the pledges and generous payment on the pledges of our wonderful members and friends. If you are here visiting from another church, we would love to have a donation from you as well. If you're a member of a church that's struggling during this pandemic time, please donate to them. Instead, So they will be there on the other side of this for you.
1: I invite you to join me now as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.
0: Please sing with me if you care to, the words of Holly Near. I am open and I am willing For to be hopeless would seem so strange It dishonors those who go before us So lift us up to the light of change Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.